The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today's guest, Michelle Gurley, is a good example of how an NDE can influence the direction of our lives, even when we were going in a good direction to begin with. Michelle's religious background had her already mindful of those in need, and her ambition to become an MD was the result, until an accident put a new spin on her direction. Today, Michelle is a multi-instrumentalist, nationally ranked mountain dulcimer player, and holds degrees in medicine, public health, and theology. Though she thought her life purpose was to serve as a medical missionary, the after-effects of her near-death experience led her to question her faith and to seek ways of healing outside of her medical training. She currently spends her time pursuing her passions of interior design, farming, and music. She's working on her first album and will be putting her diverse experiences to use in the near future as a chaplain. Michelle, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you. Good to have you here. Michelle, um, let's begin by, um, perhaps you could tell us a little about your religious upbringing and what was pushing you into medicine when your accident occurred. Sure, so I grew up in a somewhat conservative faith tradition here in the South. Um, My grandfather was a minister and all my family went to church and through that, I became involved in different mission opportunities overseas. And the summer before my accident, I had just spent an entire summer living at a seminary affiliated with my faith tradition in Honduras. And that had really inspired me to want to go back and serve in some capacity. But in the tradition I grew up in, women couldn't be ministers. And I was deemed by most people to be very intelligent. So they were like, well, you should be a teacher or a doctor. I was like, well, a doctor sounds like probably a better fit for what I want to do. So um, that was kind of my life goal at the time, right before my accident, was to go to medical school, get my medical training, and then go back overseas and work with the friends I had made in Honduras. Right. Well, tell us about uh, uh, your accident and what what happened then. Yeah, um, it's a night that I still don't quite understand. It happened, ironically, the night before the interview uh, for the medical school I really wanted to attend. I have lots of questions as to why I ended up in that situation that night, why I was still in um, Knoxville, Tennessee, when I had an interview the next morning, two hours away, why I had decided to go back to campus that evening from my apartment and go to a women's Bible study, which I kid you not, we were studying the fruits of the spirit and we were on patience that night. And why I decided that night to take a different route home than my usual so that I could fill up my tank with gas or I'd have one less thing to worry about in the morning. Little did I know um, I would have way more to worry about than whether or not my gas tank was full. Mm. Um, So yeah, so I was back on... um, campus that night. I had left um, this Bible study. I was headed home to get gas. I was at an intersection at a really busy um, street there in Knoxville, Tennessee, affectionately known by uh, people at the university as The Strip. Light mm-hmm. went green. 
I started to turn left. There was absolutely no one at the intersection from the other direction, except some small voice in my head said, you need to look left again, even though the light just turned green. And so I did. And there is a large Dodge Ram Dually truck just barreling down the road. And I knew something inside me knew that I wasn't going to get to that intersection um, if I continued on the path I was in. And he was not going to make any attempt to stop. Mm-hmm. So what happened next sounds like it took a long time, but I'm pretty sure it just took a split second because if it took the amount of time that it seems like it took, it's like, well, why didn't you just keep driving? But in the next little bit of time, I found myself weighing out all these scenarios in my head. It's like, okay, well, should I keep into my turns? I'd already started out into the intersection a little bit. And something inside me said, no, if you keep trying to make that left turn, you're going to get completely smashed by this truck. And so then my next thought was, well, you can just gun it and go straight. And something inside me said, if you do that, someone's going to be in that crosswalk. It's a busy street. A lot of pedestrian traffic. You're going to hit someone. And then my next thought was, well, I can back up. And then I realized something inside me like knew that there was a car behind me, which there was. And so then I didn't understand this moment, and I'll come back to it later, um, until just a few years ago. But something inside me said, you need to put your car in park. I was just, I just nosed out into the intersection. And so that's what I did. Um, and the next thing I knew, I heard the loudest sound of my life. And I let out this loudest, primeval scream I had ever made in my entire life. I have this vague memory of seeing the white of the truck come right in front of my car. And then the next thing I knew, I wasn't in my car. Or if I was the top of my car, the cabin had all of a sudden become hundreds of thousands of feet tall. Because I found myself floating upward uh, into this um, darkness uh, with this entity Uh, But it didn't feel scary. It didn't feel evil or anything like that. I just felt like we were just going up and this entity was escorting me up. And I have a vague memory of while this was happening, seeing, I would say almost more my mind's eye, this really bright place or room, almost like it felt like being at a cocktail party or something like these shadowy figures just kind of milling about. But the light was like looking straight into the sun. Um, But I wasn't in that place. It's just like I could almost like see it or I knew it was coming up and that we were headed that way. And at the same time, I started having all these memories come back to me of like what I'd just done in the summer. And then I was also really involved in beginning to set up the student organization to place uh, college students in um, urban schools of the American Red Cross for the school uh, health nurse program because my friend and I who had started the program or the the link with the college students we were about to graduate and we wanted to make sure it was going to continue so we were in the midst of starting an organization on campus and so like, all these memories of these things I was in the middle of just kind of came to me mm. and I realized and I started to get this feeling inside of me like I used to have when I was younger and I would go to this babysitters after school and oftentimes my mom would inevitably show up right in the middle of when my friends and I were playing some kind of game or 
doing something that we were really involved in. And she would show up to pick me up to take me home. And I, I would always tell her, like, Mom, can you come back in five or 20 minutes? Or, like, we're in the middle of this. Can can just come back? And, of course, she couldn't because she had stopped off at work and it was time for us to go home. But that this, that's the feeling I started to get as this whole process was happening. And somehow I ha- have this sense of, like, I conveyed that to this entity that was traveling along with me. Like, hey, like, can, like I'm in the middle of a bunch of stuff. Like, no, like. And, like put me back on earth, put me back. Um, because something inside me knew that if we made it to that place where this bright light was and these figures in this kind of cocktail party setting, that I wouldn't come back. Yes. And the next thing I knew, it, I was back in my car. And I was very confused. In fact, I remember the first thing that I did was I started um, actually patting my forearms because I didn't know if I'd come back as a ghost, if I was alive. Like I didn't know what was going on. And then I seemed to realize that, that was okay. And my body seemed to be mostly okay that I could tell at the moment. And even though I would have some lingering back pain uh, that would persist for several years later on. And then the next thing that happened, I realized... Um, my car was full of smoke. I didn't know at the time it was actually just from the airbag that had exploded, but um, I thought possibly my car was on fire and it, thankfully it was not, um, but I was still strapped in my seatbelt. So I undid that and managed to get out of the car and go sit on the curb. Mm. And the next thing I knew, lots of people were walking up to me, almost looking at me as if I were a ghost. Um, and then about five different emergency vehicles showed up, a couple of ambulances, a fire truck, a couple of police cars. Yeah. Did, did the, um, did the Ram driver stop after he hit you? He did. He actually had to, um, because what I realized later on just a few years ago, um, is that by me putting my car in park. I shifted the physics of the whole situation <coughs> because an object at rest stays at rest an object in motion stays at motion. So essentially by the fact that my car was in park and perfectly still, a lot of the energy of him hitting my car actually transferred into his truck and it bent his, the back of his truck all up and he was not able to drive that truck either. So we managed oh. to total both cars. <laughs> oh dear. Did now the the spirit that was with you as you were traveling upward toward the light? Did did it communicate anything to you? Was there any conversation that you had? I don't remember, and I still can't figure out exactly what spirit it was or what kind. Like, I've never gotten a name, or it felt like a very neutral. Like it was just there, kind of as a, a guide. Mm. Any visual impressions? Of what it looked like? All I have visually um, is I was in the dark a lot. I also have this memory of like the color rust, like rust color also around us in this darkness. I don't really know what that's about. And then just this image, like I said, I don't think I actually went to the place because I knew like, if I went there, I wasn't coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like this very, very brightly lit room with some shadowy figures kind of milling about. Wow. Did you 
did you ever have a chance to tell your um, uh, your minister uh, about the situation? What did he say about it? I actually didn't. I actually didn't talk about my situation for several years. Um, one, I didn't know what to do with it. Um, two, I got pretty distracted right after it happened. I actually went to my medical school interview the next day. My friend drove me up there. Later, I realized I interviewed in a state of physiological shock because when I got back that night, I um, was hit with an immense amount of back pain, which persisted for several weeks and to some degree, actually, for several years after that. Um, mm. But it was pretty debilitating. So all my energy and mental um, powers went to managing that pain as well as trying to get through my last year of undergrad school. And then you went on to medical school, even with a even with your back pain. I did. Uh, thankfully, my back pain did resolve um, a lot over the coming months, um, and so I was able to go on to school and to graduate from my undergrad program. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to medical school. Didn't talk about my experience there either because it seemed like in my training, I still don't exactly know what to do with my experience at the time. I had even heard the term near-death experience at that point in my life. And the training I was receiving, especially in psychiatry and mental health, made me start to think, well, maybe this was a figment of my imagination. Maybe this was just my mind making up something to take my body away from the pain of the impact of the wreck. Mm. So. And uh, with with those thoughts in mind, did you... Uh, did you actually ever diminish the, your belief that it actually happened, or did you just sort of mull that part of it over? I probably did diminish um, my belief that it happened at the time, um, and actually to the point where I kind of forgot about it for a few years. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard of that that uh, happening. People ra- tend to rationalize away something that they 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 can't uh, explain to others. Well, how, how would you say this has uh, affected your career path? Well, I, I went ahead and went to medical school. I obtained my uh, medical degree, and I never practiced. <laughs> so it definitely changed my path. I'm also not part of the faith tradition I grew up in, though I do have a lot of respect and appreciation um, for the experiences and relationships I've built during that time. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, during the next few years of medical school, like I kept trying to cling to the ideas and beliefs I was taught and to the training I was receiving in med school, but it just it started falling apart. Oh. And do you, uh, did you study theology after your uh, MD degree? I did. In fact, I just graduated from Duke Divinity School in 2018. Um, I completed a master's in theological studies there from 2016 to 2018 and was a fellow of theology, medicine, and culture. Uh, did you encounter anyone uh, uh, talking about NDEs at the school, or did you talk about it yourself? I did not. I did share my NDE briefly um, in my spiritual cohort. So our all the fellows in the program, we met weekly uh, for a spirituality group, and a large component of that group was each of us having a chance to share our spiritual journey. So that did, um, there was a mention of that and that sharing of my story. Even then I felt a little bit 
uncomfortable sharing that because no one at school talked about these types of experiences. And in fact, I didn't grow comfortable talking about my experience until I learned of IAMS here in Durham. They just happened to have an office and um, learn more about that organization and went to some of the meetings here. Yeah. Well, you'd think that uh, I went to seminary too. I got an MDiv and then went on for a, for a doctorate. The idea that you would not encounter others talking about their near-death experiences, it's, it just seems so amazing to me. Why would people be in seminary if not to talk about the spiritually transforming experiences and personal mystical experiences such as NDEs? I don't understand it, <laughs> but your experience was pretty much the same as mine. Um, don't you think there's a, a an important place in seminary training for NDEs? Uh, definitely. I mean, it can, as in my life, it can profoundly affect your religious beliefs or your understanding of um, God or the afterlife or that which is greater than yourself. Um, also, if you're going to be in any type of um, spiritual ministry, whether it's a minister at a faith-based organization, uh, faith organization or faith-based entity, or even as I'm about to enter into chaplaincy, people experience NDEs or their family members have NDEs. I found out even in talking about my experience that my dad had one several years prior. Um, and, and they need a space to talk about that. They need a space to explore and to, if nothing else, just to understand that part of their life story. Hmm. Do you hope to be, uh, where do you want to practice chaplaincy, in a, in a hospital? I'm still working that out. Um, that's where the majority of chaplaincy training occurs. Um, and so that's where I will be getting further training. But I'm still open to what that looks like down the road. You will, if you're in a major hospital, find so many reports of NDEs. Um of course, when I was a chaplain, um, I sought them out. I'd go visit patients who'd coded and then had been brought back by CPR or, or you know, the paddles or whatever. And um, I'd ask, I'd just kind of casually ask them, well, did you see anything while you were on the other side? And uh, about 10% of the time, you know, I'd say one out of 10, somebody would say, yes, I, I, I remember seeing whatever. And then they'll, they'd tell me the story. And taking those stories to other patients who have not had an experience like that but are worried about their health or death in itself, these these stories can be so healing. I mean, it's just a wonderful tool for chaplains to use. Um, let me ask you, how did do you think your uh, your NDE had anything to do with your um, interest in music? I was already interested in music before I had my MD. In fact, I entered college as a double major in music and biology and dropped my music to a minor because I was an intelligent person and doing, um, becoming a doctor seemed like a more meaningful way to impact the world. Um, according to the stories other people were telling me, I would not agree with that statement at the moment, mm. but I did end up picking up the mountain dulcimer and writing my own songs after my MD, which is something I hadn't really done before that. And the songs really started coming to me back in 2014, which is when 
I really came to terms with my NDE. I was working with a shaman storyteller healer out out of California, Dina Metzger. And she was having me do some writing and reflecting about my medical experience and was writing about my wreck. And that whole story came out in my journaling. And I was like, oh, yeah, this was part of this story and journey. And it really happened. And I need to to do something about that. And it was shortly after that is when a lot of these songs started coming to me. Wow. Neat. Well, you sent me, you sent me, um, a song that you've done called crossing over the song that you've written. And, um, I was hoping you would might play it for us and sing it for us, uh, today. Sure. I'd be happy to share that with you. Terrific. Out of 
stay Very nice. Michelle, some people who've had NDEs talk about, especially musicians, talk about the music that they heard on the other side. Do you think, and you probably don't remember hearing anything, you didn't really arrive at your final destination during your NDE, but did you hear anything that would have uh, evoked this this, uh, desire to go into music? I don't remember hearing anything actually. And even the conversation, I put that word in quotes with this entity to put me back on earth. I feel like that never actually happened verbally. Like it's just somehow the thoughts in my head were conveyed to them. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I was going to mention is the fact that uh, chaplains with a gift of music are really so, um, helpful and healing to the patients. Uh, If you go into chaplaincy work, say in a hospital, and bring your instrument with you and sing, uh, you're going to get such a positive reaction from uh, a lot of your patients. Uh, It's it's just a wonderful gift to bring along. It was not a gift that I had, unfortunately, but but, um, when people came in and played music in the hospital for, for patients, either individually or as a group, they were so appreciated. I mean, it just broke the the monotony and the misery of being in the hospital. Uh, just shattered it completely. It's such a music is so healing. I really definitely agree. I've completed um, a unit and a little bit more of a unit um, of CPE uh, already. And I in that second unit, I had the opportunity to bring my dulcimer to some spirituality groups. And like you said, it really just opens doors in ways that normal conversation can't. Hmm. Have they uh, have they spoken at all in the chaplain uh, program about uh, NDEs, or have you had a chance to, to um, uh, talk? You know the way we're talking about them right now. I did bring it up in my first unit of CPE, but I was the one who brought it up. It wasn't in our curriculum. It wasn't in any of the talks scheduled by our supervisor, and. Can't remember. I think I brought it up as part of my spiritual story that we shared in that program as well. And then I had a couple of patients that um, had them, and it's not something I sought out. It's just it came up in conversation. In fact, one patient who had had two of them, um, he'd had heart failure twice, um, and he just seemed so appreciative of me providing the space for him to talk about that. I can't remember his exact words, but it was something along the lines of. No one's ever believed me or basically given me the space to share this story in a way that makes it seem credible. Mm. And I was really taken aback by that moment and touched by it because it seemed like just my ability to listen to him in a way that honored his story as being valid and true really um, was a gift to him. Yeah. Ions has a movie they made a few years back uh, in which I have like a 30-second part, uh, talking to people about NDEs, talking to doctors about NDEs, talking to me as a chaplain. And it was, it was uh, designed for training doctors and nurses and other medical personnel in how to deal with 
and understand and appreciate uh, stories they hear about NDEs from their patients. So you might, uh, at some point in in, um, in your progress toward becoming a chaplain, uh, get a copy of that. It's on a DVD. It's about I think it's about a twenty minute movie, and perhaps you might even show it to your CPE class because they might uh, they might get a lot out of it. Sure, I'll keep it in mind. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to uh, like to add to our uh, to our story here? I think the only thing that I've also realized on my journey that um, it's been an interesting journey to untangle is I did have um, traumatic effects from my accident, post traumatic stress, I guess you could call it. And I don't know if that often gets talked about in the NDE world. It seems like it's often one or the other. But for me, it was a journey that both I had effects from both my NDE as well as just the actual processing of the wreck by my body, mind, and spirit. And so it's been a an interesting journey to untangle all of that and to make meaning and sense of it. Mm. A possible one and a meaningful journey. One of the things they always say about NDEs is that uh, – People who have them uh, no longer fear death. What's your feeling about that? I probably don't quite share that experience, but I was also the stubborn person in my NDE that says, like, I don't even want to, like, I'm still attached to Earth. <laughs> I want to get back. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Green ball here that floats in space. <laughs> but uh, when, you, when you know there's, um, something that comes after the death of a physical body, it's a very reassuring belief that you'll be able to pass on even tangentially to the patients and, uh, and, and the medical staff that you meet in the, in the future in your work as a chaplain. And it's not a painful, not a painful transition. No, no, it certainly isn't. It's more painful coming back into a, a wounded body than it is leaving it. Yes, I sure. with that. Well, Michelle, I think that's about all the time we have for today. Uh, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, wish you good luck in your future career as a fellow chaplain um, and uh, a chaplain who has had a personal mystical experience like your NDE brings so much value to the profession. So I'm, I'm very proud of you from a distance for going there. Well, my thanks to you, Michelle Gurley, for sharing your story with us today. If the listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org and join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>